Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. Reunited and it feels so good. It's me, Craig O'Keefe, <laughs> with Paddy Boyland. We're both back from various uh, COVID-related, oh, I'd say COVID-related, we haven't had COVID fortunately, but we have been taking late holiday in the year as a result of the, uh, the, the, the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we've not been on the podcast together for a couple of weeks and uh, here we are with plenty to discuss. First things first, Pad, I'd like to just officially let you know that that fridge has now um, been removed. <laughs> it's gone. The, the nice. regular listeners will know the Requiem for a Dream fridge has uh, ruined our recordings for the last time. It's out of the equation. It's finished. It's a bit disappointing, isn't it, really? <laughs> it was probably a more regular part of our podcast than us two over the last month or so. It so. probably spoke more sense than me at times. Yeah, yeah, possibly, yeah. Paddy, you've you been all right on your break? I, I have, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, it'd be nice if Everton picked up again, wouldn't it, and started winning games of football, uh, stealing myself a little bit for the game against Burnley on Saturday, um, heading up to Lancashire for that one. Uh, Burnley always happens to be like the coldest place on earth. It's kind of like north of the wall in Game of Thrones. So um, <laughs> it is. It is. And we've probably got Hodor as centre back, and yeah, it's um, it's always a. It's always a very cold, icy place to go. Oh, it's freezing. <laughs> and, and, and the way you, because for people that don't know, the, the media positioning at Burnley always tends to be quite high up in the stands. So it just mm. exacerbates everything. It gives you some nice views. It gives you nice views of that part of Lancashire and stuff as well. So I'll, I'll kind of look forward to that. But I'll also put like the thickest coat on that I can find, the thickest jumper. And I'm not even playing the game, but already I'm kind of psyching, psyching myself. Yeah. So who, heaven knows what the uh, what the Everton players are thinking. But, but yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. Um, trying to just compose myself more than anything after listening to our um, podcast producer, Tom, who appeared... On, I think the last podcast we did, the mailbag, um, when he was communicating with us before we went live, he was sounding something like a Dalek, wasn't he, from from Doctor <laughs> Who? So I, I am only just regaining my composure. Probably haven't even done so yet. So so yeah, as ever, as ever, fun and games with this podcast, but but I do enjoy it. Yeah, likewise. I, I hope you've got your long johns ready. That's a staple of my match attending winter wardrobe. Is is I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, ashamed to admit it is full on Nesh. Long John's. Now, some of our listeners may be in North America, probably the uh, <laughs> the areas that can get really cold, or Canada, I don't know, might might scoff at me saying it's cold here. It's five degrees today, and it feels cold. And um, if I were you, Pat, I'd have your Long John's on. Also, li- listeners who uh, maybe not be in, in the UK or in the Northwest, a lovely thing about but a turf more. It's quite quaint to, to get to it. Yeah. You have to walk across like a cricket ground, don't you? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, I love that though. I I love yeah. that. I I think it's almost like English football has strayed away from that a little bit, and it's now kind of these. I wouldn't say soulless bowls always because they're not. Some of them are fantastic, but these these um these kind of big new modern arenas yeah. 
on the outside of the on the outskirts of the the, the center of the town wherever it may be and yeah. this is a reversion back to those those days like you say a little bit quaint um and i always enjoy it it's one of those places i, I always enjoy going to it um a little bit like with goodison goodison's a, a throwback isn't it so um yeah I would say I'm looking forward to elements of, of going. Uh, I'm not looking forward <laughs> to the cold. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm unsure what to expect from Everton too. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. Well, as our very own John Snow prepares to go north of the wall, we've got stuff to discuss. <laughs> we've got, not least, Marcel Brands and his future. Uh, I wrote a piece earlier in the week about the situation we've discussed before. Um, subscribers will have read Paddy answering in, in that mailbag he mentioned, answering questions about Marcel Brands. It is a topic uh, very much which is on Evertonian's minds the director of football the man responsible for guiding the affairs of the club on and off the pitch in a sort of superstructure manner and it's um, coming towards the end of his, his contract he, he's a three year deal he will be at the end of that in the summer and as of yet no fresh terms have been agreed um, I spoke to a few people connect, you know sort of close to the situation and wrote a piece where um, my overall conclusion and last party, what he thinks as well, was that the links to Manchester United are probably not uh, anything to worry about, depending on your thoughts on Marcel Brands. Or, um, you know, essentially, it doesn't look like he's going to walk away from Everton, barring any any huge uh, change in mood at the moment. Uh, I think he's done some good things, he's done some bad things, um, and it's a work in progress, Everton mm. and his reign. But overall, I think there's a desire on both on both parts. The board, the rest of the board, of course, he's a member of it, and him to continue. Um, but there's, there's a, lot, a lot of nuance and there's a lot of things have changed, even in the three, uh, two, two and a half years he's been here, uh, which makes it an interesting one, doesn't it, Pad? Would you have expected, would you expect in some ways for this to have been agreed by now, the new contract? That's actually a really difficult question to answer because mm. I think in, in ordinary circumstances, you'd look at somebody coming to their end of their current deal and you'd assume that the club would almost future-proof the the kind of mm. the contract and the terms. So it would be like with players, for example, you normally see two years as a cut-off point, don't you? Don't you? Once, yeah. once players tick below that two-year marker, it's either sign a new deal or we'll sell you for, for resale value. It's not quite the same with Marcel Brands because it's slightly changed by the fact that he's also on the board. He's on the board of directors, so he's he's not only is he director of football, but he also has a place on the board. So in theory, Marcel Brands would be able to vote on whether Marcel Brands gets a new contract, which is um, <laughs> which is in- interesting interesting scenario, of of course. Um, but when when I had conversations about this, and obviously I wrote a precursor really to what you did, uh, and all of this feels like a precursor to the talks that need to take place in the mm. new year, as we both suggested. Um, that's what makes this difficult to predict, I think. But when I had those conversations, I was told this is not a conventional situation. This is not as simple as he needs to sign a new deal by X date or he's gone kind of thing. He could actually... He could stay in situ if he wanted Everton uh, and stay on the board of directors for a while longer. Um, he he could sign a new deal soon. And then obviously that's extended kind of contractually. Um, so there are a number of different ways this can go. I've not, I've not heard anything or seen anything 
that I've seen to be too credible with regards to that Manchester United rumour. I don't know about you, um, but I've not, not seen really anything not. where I've, th- I've thought that's somebody close to Manchester United or that's somebody close yeah. to Everton saying that. Um, so I'd, 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 I already took it with a little bit of a pinch of salt. Now, in your piece, I think what you did really well, and maybe you could explain this better than I could, but you you also assessed the situation a little bit in Manchester United, what they're after and what they need. And I think that feeds into this as well, because certainly as I understood it from your piece, they're not after a, a, a typical director of football or such, are they? No, thanks. It's it certainly sort of, I don't profess to be um, the front of knowledge on Old Trafford by any means. You, know, you have to read our colleagues. Laurie Whitwell and, and Carl Anker for that. But from what I understand, um, they they don't... See, it's funny, I didn't know they had they didn't know what this guy's existence, but they already have their own um, Dutch Marcel in Marcel Boot, who's their chief scout, who uh, is very well thought of, has got um, a shed load of uh, brilliant agents working for him, apparently, uh, and a really good scouting network, which is one of the things that you'd want from a sort of Marcel Brands type character, or in fact, Marcel Brands. Um, what they... Uh, what I get the feeling they want at United is a, a very much a more of a public face because of the size of, of United. Um, they want somebody to come, preferably someone with links to the club, you know, a former player. And someone mentioned Edward mm. van der Sar to me. Van der Sar. Or, yeah, someone who can go in there and, and be sort of everything that I guess Edward Wood isn't in that, you know, I suppose a, more of a transfer deal um broker, someone who's, who's skilled and, and experienced in that, which is when, when you can look at brands and understand why they might uh, cover him. Um, and less of a CEO, more of a public face, more able to like, connect with the football side of, of Manchester United rather than the sort of corporate side. And for better or worse, uh, Woodward has been forced to straddle both. And I think there's a feeling, obviously, amongst a lot of United fans, that needs to change. Um but I got the impression that to go and get brands would, wouldn't really make sense. And as Paddy said, you know, the source of the original story um, is, I'm going to say it, dubious. <laughs> I was trying to be careful. Right, yeah, oh. dubious wouldn't be the right word because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a national newspaper. But I, I'm looking into it, Paddy and I, anyway, are, are sort of uncertain of the of the veracity of the original the original claim and you know, I, I mentioned the piece there are various reasons why it might have ended up out there um but it, it it's an interesting time anyway just to take take a moment to look back at what brands have done um and you know i, I said it, it's a bit reductive i said in, in starting this this segment that there's been some good and bad, you know, I'm sure almost every director of football or head of recruitment or whatever you want could say, you know, would have the same, very few are flawless. Um, even Michael Edwards, the much praised Michael Edwards has um, got the odd clunker on his record, obviously at Liverpool, sorry, I should say. But um, I just think for brands recently, um, there's there's a couple where they start to, you start to really look at it and say for a club, that, that needs, st- you know, yes, a lot of money for, with Mishiri, but still needs signings to work. And more haven't than have lately, uh, in, my, in my opinion. We've discussed brands a few times in pieces, haven't we? Um, yeah. I, I go back to the piece we did last season where we looked at the way he interacts with Farhad Mashiri, uh, Bill Kenwright, who's obviously still the chairman and takes a part in some of the negotiations, although in, uh, uh, an ever... Um, ever dwindling number of the negotiations, it must be said. Mm. Um, and the manager, whoever the manager is at the time, 
And I think part of this is governed by who the manager is, but part of it is governed by the relationship between brands and the people he's working with. You, you almost as kind of, you're, you're only as good as the network you've got in place and the decision makers you've got in place as well. And brands are only one of those decision makers. He's, he's only one of those point. guys. Yeah. Um, and his, his remit as well. I think sometimes where it gets a bit reductive is it becomes, are his signings a success or a failure? And it's, and that's the only thing because the first thing to point out is I wouldn't be able to tell you if Moise Keane is a success or a failure. I wouldn't be able to tell you if Alex Awobi will go on to be a success or failure because he's bought players with upsides who could well see their value grow in a year or two's time. They're not necessarily always for the here and now, in my opinion, anyway. The other thing is, the other reason it's reductive is because Marcel Brands' role goes far beyond player recruitment. He's actually got a head of recruitment, Greta Steinson, to oversee the majority of that scouting network. Um, and what Marcel actually does as well is, if you, I don't know if, People have read my interview with John Ebrill, but Marcel playing a big role with the academy on reforming and restructuring the academy, trying to tweak it and hone it and make it better. Um, like I said, he takes part in negotiations, but even as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware, even some of kind of the touting of players who are available for sale, that's not all done by Marcel Brands. So that it, it's for those reasons, I find this quite difficult. Ancelotti has also came in and he's also come in and he's put his own stamp on things. He was the one that suggested Hoiberg, although Marcel Brands agreed. And they have to agree on transfers, by the way, for them to get sanctioned. Ancelotti was the one then that suggested Alan. Ducore was a target for Silver and Brands, but Ancelotti liked him. So that's why that one was was <laughs> given, the, given, given the go-ahead uh, when Watford got relegated. Um, and Ancelotti obviously worked with James Rodriguez and that was a player that he wanted to bring to Everton. So you've got other people chipping in here. It's not purely Marcel Brand's remit, although he is obviously responsible to some extent. That's why I struggle assessing the legacy because some people would tell you Moise Keane is a, has been a success. Some people would tell you he's been a failure. Probably more people would tell you he's been a failure. But if he continues to score goals for PSG and let's say for argument's sake comes back for Everton and does well next season or is sold for a profit, then that goes down as a success, successful signing in my book. So yeah. I, guess, I guess we're going to have to see. I guess we're going to have to see um, this at the very least, the discussion around brands and the rumours around brands, or should we say rumour, singular, um, <laughs> they um, at the very least give us an opportunity to assess where Everton have been and where Everton are headed in recruitment terms. Um, and it's not been fully positive. It's not been fully negative. And I don't think for any person in recruitment, it could ever be totally one or the other. The The, the nature of the beast is in maximizing successes and obviously limiting the amount of negatives. And it, it is, it's a mixed bunch. You look at Fabian Delph. Fabian Delph is a decent player when he's fully fit, but has he... Stamped his mark on the team at the moment. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. Uh, Moise Keane, jury still out. Alex Awobi, jury still out. Um, there have been successes. Richarlison, Luca Dean, um, various others. Um, but let's see. I think this is about building a club over a five, ten year period. And I think that's what that's another one of the things I took from your piece and from Marcel Brown's kind of biography. He tries to build legacy, doesn't he? He tries to he tries to stay at a club. 
um, work his way into his seat and then um, put his fingerprints on things slightly longer term. So let's see how the talks go. Um, Ancelotti's already publicly said a number of times now how highly he values Brands. He said that to us, hasn't he, in press conferences a few times now. Um, and those two get on well. So it's it's going to be about Everton sitting down. And this is why I steer clear, and I know you do as well, I steer clear of bold predictions here because it's going to be about sitting down at a table uh, at some point. Everton are pretty relaxed about this at the moment, as far as we know. And it's about sitting down at a table and um, coming to terms with a new deal and trying to agree with them. So that's where it is. That's where it is. It like like I said, it almost feels like a precursor to to what's likely to take place. A, a great scene setter. Um, and I just yeah, I've, I've been intrigued by the discussion around brands. It seems like everyone's got an opinion on on the guy. You can read that piece, and and there's there's plenty more good stuff from Paddy Nine this week on the app. Plus, all our colleagues writing the Premier League, international football, and all of Europe's big leagues. To subscribe, you just need to go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. And if you listen to this podcast on Thursday, as we record it, you can take advantage of a really good offer, which runs out today. It really is a special one. You can sign up right now for just £1 a month for 12 months. It's the best deal we've done since we launched in the UK. I can't see it getting beaten anytime soon. I know uh, I've got friends who signed up prior to tearing the hair out, just thinking like it, it is a tremendous offer. That's a pound a month for 12 months. You wouldn't even get a cup of coffee uh, for that. And I, I like to hope that what we're, you know, what we're producing is makes that an insanely good bargain. So if you enjoy the podcast and you want to find out some more, honestly, give it a go, a quid a month, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod or one word, Everton pod, P-O-D. And, uh, and come and join us. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's one win in six now, Pad. We, we've said these we're stealing ourselves for the weekend. You literally, because you're going to have to go into <laughs> subarctic Lancashire. But joking aside... <laughs> It's been a bit crap, hasn't it, lately? It's it's just, mm-hmm. the, even the Fulham win, I didn't feel, and I know that sounds, I felt like a misery at the time for not being happier, but it just didn't feel convincing against a team that everyone else has been running over, um, albeit they've improved a bit since then. I just, something's not right. Injuries really haven't helped. You wrote a fantastic piece about wing-backs, and it was more nuanced than the, than the piece I'd written after the game. I think you really drilled into the role and why it's... Uh, I'm thinking maybe that from your from your assessment that I'll let you tell, tell us yourself, but it's not necessarily something that we should scrap up on and, and bin, but it is going to need time, isn't it? Um, do you think that it, we're going to see them again at Burnley? And, and what have you made of this period of, of disappoint, disappointing results? Yeah, t- taking the, the period as a whole... The, the one win in six that you, you mentioned. It's obviously been a far cry from the start of the season when they just started so, so well, Everton, and looked like a top six side. And there are obviously reasons for the drop-off 
a lot of reasons. And again, I don't think you can distill it down to any one thing. But what I'd say is in those opening five or so games, we had a consistent side, we had a consistent system and a relatively full squad at our disposal. But what we've had since has been a succession of changes, both changes that have been enforced, losing key players that we can't really replace at present from the from the depth or lack of it in the squad, but also changes from Ancelotti where he's looked to replace those players, not by going like for like mm. on occasion, but effectively ripping up the blueprint and saying, if we've not got Luca Dean, then we need to attack in a totally different way. Um, and the problem with that for me is, and, and again, this goes back to the wing backs on, on um, was it Saturday against Leeds? Dominic Calvert-Lewin's had such success from Dean's crossing and from the crossing of James. But I don't know how with Alex Awobi on that left wing in a relatively new position for him, having to come inside all the time, check in on his right foot or deliver a cross on his left, on his weaker foot. I don't know how Everton were attempting to get that supply line to Calvert-Lewin. And Tom Davis had a couple of good runs, learning a new position on, on, on the right. But he's never been known for his crossing either. And it just, yeah, just if, it feels to me, I don't know if you agree, but it feels like Everton have departed quite substantially. I said this in the piece, but it feels as though Everton have departed, departed quite substantially from both the system and some of the personnel that made them so strong at the beginning of the season. And I'd almost be looking at it and going, we've not got Luca Dean and maybe we need to play a slightly different way. But who's going to get past Richarlison on the overlap? Who's likely to put those crosses into the box uh, that Calvert-Lewin can get on the end of? And is it Alex Awobi? Is it is it Niels and Kunku? Well, for, for me, it probably would be Niels and Kunku. Although I think the big caveat here is that I'm not a manager with multiple Champions League titles under my belt. So, um, so that, that's what I'd have gone for. And I, I understand, again, in the piece, I kind of have a look at why Ancelotti has gone the way he has. And he trusts Awobi. Awobi's a great trainer, we're told. And I think more than anything, he wants to give him another run. Um, mm. he's, he's plumped for experience up. Op- experienced options to fix a very leaky defence that just concedes goal after goal after goal. And because Awobi was so good against Fulham, he wants to give him another opportunity. But I just think if you do that, play him on the right, play him in that position on the right, don't move him again um, because then he's got to adapt again and it becomes harder for him to replicate his performance. So it's been tough. It's been really tough. And while I've been wittering on, I've actually forgotten the other, the second part <laughs> of your, your, your question. Well, you, which you've is actually... Quite, <laughs> You've actually addressed both, in fairness, the sort of the general malaise, and I think it all feeds. It, it feeds. It feeds into both, doesn't it? It's, you know, it's, it's the injuries, which, as you say, have, have meant we're never going to get through a season without injuries, especially not this one coming as it does after mm-hmm. such a short in pre-season. Um, every club's having issues. We've had more than our fair share. Obviously, losing Richarlison wasn't injury based, but it was still costly. And yeah. then you just couldn't script it in terms of any, you know, something almost as bad as losing with Charles and it will be losing Luca Dean. And so that's going to challenge any team. And it certainly is challenging us. And um, I think, as you say, they need to find a way of getting that service into our our goal scorer. Um, and they haven't quite done it yet. And that's probably a big part of our malaise. Of course, defensively as well. We're not uh, we're not there at the moment. We're not, we're not keeping clean sheets. And that's been a concern for some time. At least we're not talking about Jordan Pickford, eh, Pat? <sighs> 
Yeah, I mean, that, that is a welcome change. As a, as <laughs> I've changed it now. Wait, wait till Saturday. I've made that abundantly clear, I feel, over the last few weeks about, about Jordan Pickford and just kind of giving the lad a bit of a break more than anything yeah. else. Um, yeah. Everyone speaks about his goalkeeping and sometimes that's justified. He's made one too, too many, at least one too many mistakes. Um, but the Derby fallout seems to have continued. Um, and I don't know how to phrase it, but I think it's probably best to just put a sock in it for a while, please. Um, let the lad get on with his goalkeeping, and and we could we can almost assess that when when something substantial changes. So he's he's been he's been part of the issue, although I think he was improved against Leeds. I, th- I thought he made some really good saves to keep Everton in that game. And I guess going back to the point about systems and whether you persevere in a weird way, Leeds are not Manchester City. They're certainly not Liverpool, and They've not got the quality of players that those two teams have. But in a weird way, Leeds were kind of ideally placed to show up Everton's fragility in a system that they they don't know so well. They're only just starting out playing. Whenever you change system, even when you've got all the kind of your best players at your disposal, it's gonna it, it takes time. It really, really does a thing. And you, you're gonna have teething problems, you can have players occasionally not knowing where to run and what to do. That's up to the manager to get them quickly up to speed, of course. But Leeds, if Everton were just starting out in their system, Leeds are the polar opposite because they've just got this such a specific way of playing. They're so well drilled. They've been playing it for so, so long. And it almost kind of exacerbated any single issue that Everton had in that um, in that game on Saturday. So Everton, Everton probably deserved to lose, um, although chances on another day might have gone their way. Ducore might have mm. scored that goal early on and, and they might have picked up the momentum and the initiative from that but yeah. but I think on the whole I think it was in terms of expected goals it was Everton's worst expected goals against in uh, 101 games as Matt Cheatham our, a, a friend of the pod yeah. uh, put, yeah. it <laughs> put it on put it on Twitter game. immediately after the game so it was really really bad in terms of the quality of chances Everton were surrendering to Leeds Burnley do pose a completely different threat I think what and again I'm not reinventing the wheel here with this analysis but I think what Burnley will do is look to get the ball to Dwight Dwight McNeil in particular and get crosses into the box for Chris Wood to attack those wingbacks if Ancelotti does persist with the wingbacks those wingbacks are going to have to make sure that they are blocking crosses I think there's an imperative not only on providing attacking impetus but also making sure Burnley don't get that supply in, in the box because the best way to stop Chris Wood is not to beat him to the header when he's got a run on you. It's to make sure he doesn't get that cross in the first place. And that that's kind of what Leeds did. Everton helped him, but that's what Leeds did with Calvert-Lewin. Once he's in the air, he's, he's more or less unstoppable, but Everton just weren't allowed to get the ball to him anywhere near enough, particularly in the air. So... I feel like it's going to be the same the other way around with with Burnley. Everton need to block the cross. Everton's wing wing backs need to be dutiful defensively, or Ancelotti needs to go a different way. Um, either way, it's going to take a bit of time and patience because I think, like like you say, losing Luca Dean is a massive, massive loss for Everton. He's been Everton's top chance creator now for well, basically since he joined. So you're always going to lose something somewhere for that and yeah it, it, it's been unfortunate hasn't it it, it, it feels like it a has, combination yeah. of circumstances that have just undermined I still maintain that this side when everyone's fit is probably a top six challenger 
I still maintain that they're better than they're showing at the moment. When you look at the players, even the players now at Ancelotti's disposal, I think they're better than they're showing, but they need to prove that because one win in six is not the record of a side that's going to compete for the European places. It's it's the record of a side that's going to compete towards the bottom end of the table. So um, let's hope they get back to the levels that we know they're capable of uh, starting against Burnley on Saturday. Yeah, and we will see whether or not he persists with the wing-backs or goes to uh, a flat-back four with uh, Nkunku perhaps and, and Kenny coming in. We'll see about that. Um, you meant we both discussed Jordan Pickford. If you thought that that was, uh, it, or he, it rather is uh, uh, temperamental, occasionally bizarre, a charismatic Everton goalkeeper, then you really should read the piece I've written today about, in part, a, a fellow called John Gillies, who was briefly an Everton goalkeeper before he went on to Tranmere and Southport. Um, just really, I mean, I mean, I found him interesting. I'm not saying the piece, the bit, a bit subjective. I just the, the the basis of the piece was um, PJ Smith, a guy who I know um, pretty well, and was telling me that he was at Everton when he was a youngster alongside a guy called John Gillies, who's now um, a really highly rated UFC sort of mixed martial arts. Uh, boxing coach he owns a gym in Liverpool and he's uh, big mates with Darren Till the, uh, the 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 former UFC champion um, and uh, sorry middleweight champion and he's got a story to tell and I sat down with him and he, <laughs> he has got a story to tell believe me he uh, wasn't at Everton for long and in the end he wasn't in football for long he ended up getting banned uh, from football for uh, jumping into the crowd at a game in the conference when he was at uh, Southport and knocking out a rival fan who'd spat on him and um, I think that was sort of he was already boxing by then so I feel sorry for the fan to up to a point uh, and uh, from there on he, he, he obviously was banned from football walked away from the game and uh, became a fighter in every sense he was in the bare knuckle boxing world he was uh, a kickboxer he boxed professionally and at the same time, him and, and PJ, the chap I mentioned, that uh, they were school friends. They were friends at Epson's Academy and their paths had, had separated, really, as, as it does when you get to sort of 17, 18. A lot of your friends at that age, you drift away from. Um, PJ had his own interesting story to tell. He is now a successful writer and, and spoken word performer um, and just had a book published, actually, uh, which is on rough trade. Um, it's really I mean, it's his first book, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be the one of many. It's called Algorithm Party on Rough Trade Publishing. Um, and his story is, is compelling too. He fell into alcohol addiction, um, drugs, and was in a really dark place, uh, managed to get the help he needed. And now, as well as being an author, is involved in helping people who are going through similar struggles. They So it was just a privilege to sit down with them both and just find out about their time, uh, brief times at Everton and where their lives have taken them since. Um, so it's a bit of a different one, but that is the piece that's up there today. Sorry to waffle on their part. Um, but it is, uh, it is a, an interesting read. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Paddy, you've, you've been working on a piece which uh, has got a place in my heart, if only because I am absolutely sick of walking around Liverpool City Centre and the Baltic area. You and I live quite quite close to one another uh, and seeing these Liverpool murals. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about the piece that uh, <laughs> that is due to go on the site tomorrow that you've been working on. Yeah, I think, I think most of our listeners by now will know from social media in particular that a new Everton mural went up in the Baltic quarter, which is kind of on the periphery, I'd say, of Liverpool city centre. Uh, towards the south end of the city, uh, former industrial area. So if you can imagine, set the scene, it's a load of warehouses, isn't it? That have been repurposed yeah. for one reason or another. Breweries, markets, indoor markets, coffee shops, good coffee shops, um, indoor golf, um, which is fantastic, actually, indoor crazy golf, loads hmm. of these things. And there's also, there's a big emphasis on street art and stuff. So it's a, it's a bit of an alternative, if you can call it that part of the city that um is full of startups and particularly tech startups and yeah new media companies and stuff like that that's where the mural is um it was um kind of spearheaded by a guy called paul morgan from kit it out again a lot of people will be aware of that handle on twitter and paul morgan set out to raise five thousand pounds for this and got it going effectively as a response like you say to the fact that we see lots and lots of Liverpool-related iconography around the city. What I like about this is that it's fan-led and fan-inspired. And he was telling me when I I spoke to him for the piece that the money was coming in, even from the US, and people were messaging him and saying stuff like, I'm not going to see this. I'm highly unlikely to see this anytime soon, given the coronavirus situation. But I feel as though we should have this in the city. And uh, it is, it's absolutely fantastic. So in the end, they raised more than £5,000. It went up this week. So end of November, start of December in the Baltic quarter. For local residents, people close to the city, that's behind Hangar 34, um, music, the music venue um, on, I think it's called New Hall Street. And it features five players, past and present, very familiar to, to Evertonians. 
Uh, I love the fact that Leighton Baines was on there. Um, and I was speaking to Paul about this and he his rationale was effectively just loads of players could have made this, but he wanted somebody to effectively symbolise modern Everton and yeah. the levels that we should aspire to with modern Everton. And I think Leighton Baines does that. Um, I tend to agree with him there. We had Neville Southall, Alan Ball, Dixie Dean, Howard Kendall, the great player and manager, great player in the 60s, great player in the 80s, a great manager in the 80s, sorry. Um, so it was really good. I went and had a look. don't know if you've been yet, but I went and had a look the other day um, as a bit of research and just kind of walked around and picked up a coffee and had a look. So I was in my element, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> really, really good. And the weather was actually okay for it. So, um, it was a nice day, yeah. So I've, I've effectively, I've written a piece about Evertonian attempts to take a little bit of the city back for themselves and to make the balance a little bit more equal between Liverpool FC related stuff and Everton related stuff. One of the issues has been, um, and of, of, of course, Liverpool fans have done their own stuff. I know the Anfield rap commissioned the Trent Alexander-Arnold one close to Anfield, for example. But um, quite a lot of the ones we see, we've seen now, like on Bold Street, there's a Trent Alexander-Arnold mural. But that was effectively commissioned by EA Sports as a promotion for the new FIFA game. Um, I think before that, it was a Sadio Mane and it might have been Nivea or New Balance. can't remember which one of their partners it was. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, there was a big image of him up for a while near Lime Street train station. And that was Nike as a promotion. I think it was Nike. Nike, depending on how you pronounce it. Um, it should be Nike, I think, shouldn't it? Um, mm. After the Greek goddess. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of waffling kind of way. Basically, there's a lot of Liverpool things and not many Everton things. So I spoke to Paul from Kitted Out, who did a great job with mural walls on the mural. And I also spoke to um, Mint Collective, who are responsible responsible for the posters you'll be seeing around Liverpool City Centre or have seen around Liverpool City Centre over the past couple of months. Went up on Derby Day, I believe, in October. So... It's good to see that kind of stuff. I don't know what you think about this, but I quite like the symbolism of Everton-related paraphernalia up, iconography up in town. Um, the, the the Reds are obviously jubilant. They won the league and they've got a very good side and they're rightfully jubilant. They should be. Um, but I think the balance kind of did need redressing a bit. I don't know what you think. Totally agree. Um I think I understand why there's a proliferation of them. I understand why they've got a lot more to shout about. Um, but I've had this conversation with friends on endlessly. Um, football, once it starts to creep out of Anfield or, or Walton, Goodison uh, Park area, um, I just don't, you've got to be careful. Now, I know I sound a little bit sort of cranky here, but you've got to be careful that all of a sudden the city, which is already named, or rather Liverpool named after the city, I should say, um, it's it's almost becoming about branding for me. And uh, mm. Everton, especially on their own turf, and Evertonians in this case, have got to ensure they don't get left behind and the tourists don't just come to Liverpool and uh, reinforce the notion in, in some quarters that Liverpool is a city with Liverpool FC and some other team. Um, and I love, yeah. the, you know, I love graffiti, I love murals. I would just love a few more Everton ones to balance up the... Um, the very many Liverpool ones. Uh, I love Bold, Pad, Paddy and I both love Bold Street and um, it sticks in the core of it when I'm walking up Bold Street and uh, all of a sudden there's a huge mural. Is it 
it's Trent. Is it Trent on, on Bold Street or Klopp? it is? It's Alex Alexander Arnold um, in like FIFA form. Um, yeah, that's right. So it's his, his likeness, if you can call it that. Mm. Um, just opposite Bold Street Coffee at the top end of Bold Street. So <laughs> it, yeah. it's it's kind of a prime location. Um, it just happens it to be really is. The, yeah the place where I normally go to get my coffee. So <laughs> it's like they put it there on purpose. Um, but <laughs> other people have got onto this and are, um, are doing something about it, um, which is good. Um, I think the, the, the mural's great. The mural in the Baltic is great. The posters, the mint posters are um, also really good. They've got everyone from Kanchelskis and Ferguson and Southall through to Ancelotti, Ducore, James, Alan, and Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon gets on there. I think they, from from speaking to Sarah from Mint, she was saying very important that they had a local figure on there, a modern day local figure on there for kind of locals to look at and kind of worship for for want of a better phrase. So um, so yeah, it, it it's happening slowly but surely. I think. Um, and it's not corporate yet, but I think there's value in that grassroots style thing when it's come from supporters and hats off to, to both of those groups for, for the work they've done. I, I enjoyed writing that piece because I think sometimes we can get a bit bogged down with, is Ancelotti going to play three at the back? Is he going to play four at the back? Is it going to be, is it going to be another dull affair or is it going to be another disappointing fair on, um, on Saturday for Everton? And this is just a bit of something different, a bit of positivity and a bit of, supporter expression i guess um so so i always enjoy doing those kinds of things yeah likewise no so definitely um keep an eye out for that on the site and on the app tomorrow um well thanks very much for listening um glad to be back and of course we'll be back next week there'll be even more to discuss i'm sure not least what happens at turf more on saturday thank you very much for listening and don't forget as well um if you haven't signed up and you're interested in signing up today thursday as we're recording is, is your last chance to take to take advantage of that um, offer of just a quid a month for 12 months, one pound a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. Enter that and it'll take you through to subscribe for that offer. Thank you very much. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.